Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We'll see how far I get this morning. We have communion. We'll preach our way right into communion, as is our custom here. We love to finish with the crescendo of communion to remind us of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, but these are loaded verses. As I went to tackle them, I said, oh Lord, I don't know that I can get through the first one. But we'll take a shot at it. it is, these are tremendous verses. If not, we'll pick them up next week. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30 reads this way. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. No way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, now listen to this, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experience the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear in me. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for the great grace to open the word of God. You did not leave us unaware of how to live this life after coming to know you through Jesus, Lord. You've given us the very word of God, your inspired word, Lord. Every letter, every jot and tittle is from you. And so, Lord, we want to know it better today and not only just know it cerebral, Lord, we want to know it in our hearts and live it. So I pray for all of us this morning that the Spirit of God would pierce our hearts with truth. That we would not be Christians by word only, but by deed. And not just by deed, but by word, Lord, that the Christian life, the following of Christ, Lord, would flow through us, would affect our conduct. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to live for you, we get to live for you. It's such a difference, Lord, when we grasp grace. So, Lord, we pray that the gospel, gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace would impact our lives, Lord, today. Please, Lord, burden all of us this morning with your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. You've probably heard the phrase, when the cat's away, the... Is that too old for some of you? Or is that... We all know what that means, too, you know. You watched Tom and Jerry growing up. Is it Tom the cat or the mouse the cat? Tom's the cat. Um, when he was away... Jerry got to run around and do whatever he wanted in the house. And it's an old saying, isn't it? You all had substitute teachers for school every once in a while? You all behaved perfectly like I did when I was in school when a substitute showed up? Different type of behavior sometimes comes out. My wife subs a little bit in town. She'll tell me, wow, was that class poor? <laughs> or she'll say, oh, it was a good class. People act different when certain people are in their presence. It's unfortunate, isn't it? Think about now what happens uh, in the workplace. There are cameras everywhere now because 
employers often can't trust employees, and so they put cameras to make sure everybody's working when they're supposed to. I hear there's babysitter cams now. That when you're gone, you have babysitter cams to keep track of things in the house why mom and dad are out on a date night or something. Because people often act different when authority is away. It's an interesting passage. You remember as we, before the holidays rolled along, we were working our way down through this passage and Paul was wrestling with this this great wrestle of whether to be with the Lord or to stay and remain here with them. And he finally is convinced, he says in verse 25, that he will remain here because of the progress of the joy of their faith. And he is, he is bold in his approach here. He, he says in verse 26, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ, that, that you, you've had a lot of confidence in me, but my goal is to remain here so your confidence won't just remain in me, but it will remain in Jesus Christ. There's not a preacher worth his salt in the world who doesn't want people to grab Christ and not them. Because I will fail you and every preacher will fail you at some time. But Christ will not. And so it is with that understanding we look into these next set of verses as the chapter concludes here that Paul begins to push the church. In fact, he's telling the church in Philippi that their conduct cannot be based on whether he remains or stays. Like your, your conduct as a church cannot, cannot hold to whether Paul is going to come to see you or he's never going to make it. He knows that's disastrous for the church. He knows that it's disastrous if people behave one way because somebody shows up in a different way when he is not there. This is disastrous. So Paul wants them hooked on the gospel. And so I entitled the sermon this morning, A Call to a Gospel-Driven Conduct. And here's a couple of thoughts. I don't know how far we'll get, but we'll jump on this and go as far as we can. Notice verse 27 as he opens this little section. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Notice that first word there in your text. I think most of them are similar. Only. He doesn't give it an option, does he? He doesn't say, well, maybe let your conduct reflect the gospel. You can let it reflect some other things, but let it maybe conduct in the gospel. He, he really is clear here. He is really teaching that the gospel must drive our conduct. And I put it on our notes, or our flesh will. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Scott? Well, just be honest with yourself. Oh, we have a flesh. Though God has redeemed us through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. You and I know we still battle with sin, don't we? Let's be honest. Two things are going to drive my conduct. Scott's going to drive Scott's conduct, or Christ is going to drive it. And that's where the battle is, isn't it? Do you agree? Is this not something you and I wrestle with on a daily basis, that we wrestle to give our lives over to the Lord, to let our conduct be motivated by Him, versus by our own desires? And I think there's a question that every Christian has to ask themselves is what drives my life? I think we have to do this routinely. 
If you don't, you will fall into a law, a spiritual law. And we must ask, what drives my life? Or what is the main thing I'm living for? See, we all allow other things to drive us from time to time. Maybe it's the work, our work, our jobs. They seem to just encroach in every area of our life sometimes because they're so encompassing. There's mortgages to pay, kids going to school, all those type of things that encroach on us. And sometimes we, if we're honest, we'll look up and say, oh Lord, you are not driving like I want you driving. I am consumed with work. See, Christians, followers of Christ, we must face our priorities and call them into question from time to time. When's the last time you called your priorities into question? What are your priorities? You know, there's so many different roles within here. There's moms and there's dads, there's children, there's employers, employees, there's teachers and students, there's grandparents and grandchildren. I mean, think about the different roles that are in this room. And, I, and when you look at this, Paul is pushing this church in Philippi, and because it's the word of God, inspired by the word of God, he's pushing us. What is driving our conduct? See, sometimes we slow down enough and read the Bible and study, we start to say, Lord, I want to be honest with myself. Am I in the good fight? Or am I outside the ropes? See, we can climb outside those ropes from time to time and not find ourselves in the good fight. We have let other priorities, we have let others get into the fight and we have stood back. We will find ourselves not running the race of Christ's likeness. We have tripped and fallen and we sit on the side and let everybody run by. See, Paul doesn't want that to happen. And it seems as though he, he's concerned that the church could slough, the church could slow down, not stay in the pace that he desires to be if he doesn't show up. And he doesn't want them running the race just because, hey, Paul's coming he wants them running because the gospel drives them. He wants them keep, to keep keeping the faith in Christ alone because he's sufficient for this life. So a good question to ask, does the gospel affect my daily life when I'm not at church? It's a good question. I think we have to face that from time to time. Interesting word that he uses here, Polythomai is the word, I think we get our English word polite living from this word. But the Greek is polythomai and is the word for conduct or manner of life. Paul says there is a manner of life, there is a conduct, there is a way that the gospel drives us. And notice it says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy. So what's the gospel? I'm a sinner. Christ died for me, wiped away my sins for eternity. Give me a free, a free life with him. Does that dictate Monday school? <laughs> we hear it on Sunday school, but does it dictate Monday school? See, is, what is this conduct? See, Paul told Timothy he was to preach the word in season and out of season. 
It's a great command. All of us preachers see that text. A lot of us have it placarded in our office, and it's before us. We remind ourselves that we need to preach the word. We need to hold to the gospel in season, out of season, when it's good, when it's easy, when it's hard, when it's difficult. Preach the word. But the instructions for a godly walk with God are not just for leadership. And to be above reproach is just not for leadership. Certainly, to be in leadership in the church, there must be an above reproach, a consistent life. But, but sometimes we'd say, well, that's leadership. That's pastor, elder stuff. That's all that stuff. Look with me at 2 Corinthians. There's so many parallels with 2 Corinthians in this book. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look with me at verse 14. We've been here before, but I want to work my way down for a few verses here. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Your translation may say compels us. Very, very good word there. There's a drive from the love of Christ within our life. Paul's saying, look, what's driving the cart, man, is that the love of Christ... See, it compels us, and and notice what's concluded in the verse. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. There's the gospel. Christ died for you. And he died for us, and thus we died with him. That's that picture of baptism that we witnessed here just a few weeks ago. And he died for all, verse 15. Now notice so that in the Greek we call this a henna clause, meaning this is a statement that he's going towards with everything he said before this. This is where he's moving, and this is what his summation is. Look at this. So that, it might say in order that, that, that they who live might no longer live for themselves. That, that's, that's what the gospel is about. Verse 14 says that one died for us all. Verse 15 says the result of Christ's death is that Christians, Christ followers, might live for him. Not for ourselves. Now that's a battle. I mean, you read that verse and you go, yeah, hmm, what's that look like middle day on Wednesday? When things are difficult at job, maybe difficult at home. How do I do that, Lord? How do I let you reign in my life? Look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. Now, there's a very important teaching in verse 16. Certainly Christ was here in the flesh, right? We, we, we see him, he comes to earth, we just celebrate it. It's Christ in the cradle, it's creator in the cradle. He's come, he's added flesh to his nature. He's divinely God, but he's divinely man. He lives on this earth for 33 some odd years, lives perfectly sinlessly. He is the atonement for our sins. He's placarded before the world that he's dying for sin of all those who will put their faith in him. And we knew him that way when we study the scriptures. But God resurrected him. And, and what Paul's trying to say to us is, in a sense, God has resurrected us in a way. There is a position now you have in Christ. God doesn't look at you the way he looked at you before you were saved. You are now placed in his son. You are in union with him. He has given you everything you need in Christ. 
he explains it further in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in, in Christ, are you in that? Are you in those first six words there? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, has your faith been placed in Christ alone? Not in your works, not in your heritage, not, not in your background, not in who you are. Are you in Christ? See that little phrase, in Christ. It's a preposition, denotes position. That person, that one who is in Christ, he, that person is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. New beginning. We love family, don't we? Some of you guys all went to see family this week, last week. And family's great. The family knows you. And they remember almost everything you did wrong. And during the Thanksgiving meal would bring it up if need be to prove a point. That's not why our Lord is. Our Lord says we are new. The old things have passed away. Can you imagine our God never looks at us and says, Scott, I have saved you and taken away your sins, but I'm going to keep putting them in front of you because I don't trust you. That's not God. That's not the God of the scriptures. He takes our sin as way as far as the east is to the west, and if you leave and you head out 80 or 40 and you start going east, you're never going to catch up with the west. You're just going to keep going east. You've got to take a few planes and boats, but you're going to keep going east. He takes our sins away. Brothers and sisters, he's made you a new creature. See, we want to live like old creatures sometimes. And that's that rub, that's that struggle that we have on Monday school. That pull back to the world to let the world dictate our thought life. To let your television tell you how to live and how people perceive you. To let Hollywood tell you about Bible stories. It's a pull. We belong to the Lord Jesus. See, the more you study the Bible, the more you realize it pushes us to live lives consistent with what you believe. Live your life consistent with what you believe. That's Christian living. See, if we don't do that, it's called what? Hypocrisy? See, the gospel reflects changed lives. The pastor, elders, deacons, church staff, Sunday school teachers... We teach this. And it often starts with us, but it can't stop with us. We have to say this in the pulpit, in the classroom, but we have to live it at home, and then the church gets it, they start to grasp it, and then pretty soon you have a body, a group of people called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ striving by the help of the Holy Spirit to live according to Christ, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. I like the way it's phrased. It doesn't say, you must do these or you won't get to heaven. Isn't that what the religions of the world say? You've had sins, all of you, so you have to balance us out someday. The Bible teaches us the result of the work of Christ within our life is a new drive, this new creation drive to live for him. 
You know, a lot of strength in these verses as you turn back to our text. Verse six, remember that? He said, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. You have all kinds of resources helping you. God, who knew you from the foundations of the world, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter one, verse three and following. He will aid you. He will help us to be that person who can walk according to the gospel. Before I conclude this point, let me give you just some really, I think, personal thoughts just to help you. And I'll give you a verse with each one of them. Just because this is a hard one. This is, this is everything in this room, anybody in this room who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ who is saved says, I want to be a gospel-driven person. I want my conduct driven by the gospel. I believe you as you believe me. But tomorrow, the world is going to tell us something totally different. You're going to get home, and maybe you're going to turn on the playoffs, and the first commercial you're going to see are these beautiful people telling you to think only about yourself, because you deserve it. It's so contrary. So let me give you just three things I want you to remember this week. If you remember the rest of your life, you'll be even better off. Because I want to live this life this way. Number one... Christ is enough. In other words, our sufficiency is in Christ. Christ is enough to live this life. Over the holidays, as I was preaching on the incarnation of Christ, you remember this verse, Colossians 2.9, I said, for in him, that's Christ, all the fullness of deity dwelleth in bodily form. So we remember that verse, right? Verse 9. And it tells us that Christ, while he was on the earth, he was fully God and fully man. So he could die for us and wipe out our sins and take care of the debt. The next verse, and you've got to write this down, Colossians 2.10, because you're going to need this this week. I'm going to need this this week. Colossians 2.10, and it says, and in him, that's Jesus, that's Christ, you have been made, anybody know what the word is? complete he is sufficient for daily life we know he's sufficient to take away our sins and give us eternal life we believe that don't we amen but we forget on monday school that he is sufficient for monday school he's sufficient in a commute he's sufficient for that difficult job He's sufficient for a difficult marriage. He's sufficient for raising children. Notice I didn't say difficult children. He is sufficient for life. See, we just don't ask him. We just try to go through Monday school going, well, that was a great sermon yesterday. Great worship. Boy, that was good. Well, let's pull up the bootstraps and try to get through another week. Lord, I need help. Help me, Lord. I believe you can strengthen me to live for you. See, it changes your view of your job. See, Christ begins to give you strength, and when Christ comes and he strengthens you and you rely on that and you bend the knee to him, you also find joy. See, he is sufficient for your needs. Number two, and very important, the Spirit of God lives within you and will help you. 
Now think about that. Number two, the spirit of God lives within you and will help you. God, I always said, I've said this since a youngster. God did not save me to drown me. God did not save me to feel alone in this world. God gave me his own spirit. Do do you realize when we talk about pneumatology, the doctrine of the spirit of God, the spirit of God is the spirit of God. He's not like, well, he's the, you know, ugly stepchild of the Trinity. He's God. He's solely God. He shares attributes that only God has. He is God and he resides within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20 says that, hey, don't you know that the Spirit of God is indwelling you? In fact, your body is his temple. And it gives you the source to understand this, for you have been bought with a prize, therefore glorify God with your body. And then Romans 8, 13, just jot this one down too. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. <laughs> Pretty sharp verse, huh? Meaning, if you're just living according to the flesh, Christ hasn't changed your life, you don't have the Spirit of God within you, you're, do- you're done, it's over. But... If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, the important part of this passage here, all through that Romans 8 section there, is that the Spirit can give you strength to put to death deeds that are contrary to God. And that's what robs your joy. You and I will live lives joylessly because we're not putting to death deeds that are contrary to the gospel. And the Bible says right here, the Spirit will help you put to death those deeds. Lord, I do not like, what is it in my life? You put it in there. Lord, I do not like, Lord, I would like this not to have control of me. What is that in your life? Is it pride? Is it anger? Laziness? Covetousness? What is it? What's robbing you and I of our joy of following the Lord Jesus Christ? Say, Spirit, will you help me overcome these things? Help me put them to death. Last one here. Because I I just want real practical things that how I can conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Number three, and probably just as important, simple words, you don't belong here. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3. We'll get to this passage in time, but look at 3.18. You don't belong here. And I think part of our problem as Christians is we get too deep of roots down somewhere where we don't belong. Listen to how Paul addresses this, verse 18. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. The world is full of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, whether they know it or not. Maybe some of them are very clearly belligerent. They, they don't like Christians. They, they attack Christians. That happens. If you've ever preached the gospel, you'll, you'll find that. But there's, the world system is an enemy to the cross. Look at verse 19. He goes further with them. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame. That's pretty scary terms for the world. First of all, they're going to end in destruction. 
Jesus himself, the righteous judge, will stand on his throne and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Revelations 20 is true. He will cast people into a lake of fire. There will be a separation of sheep and goats. That's where the world's going. Notice their God is their appetite, meaning whatever they have a desire. You know when you're not on your good diet and you're just hungry, you just start rifling through the refrigerator. You'll just eat anything sometimes. That's what he's, he's equating that to. The world just, anything they can get that, that pleases or quenches their, their hunger for it, lust and desires and whatever, they'll just take it in. There's no discernment. Notice whose glory is in their shame. Today there is a greater push than there ever been is for, for all people to accept shameful things. And if you don't accept shameful things, we'll sue you. Our church has to write documents to protect us. See, they glory in shame. Romans 1 says they applaud at evil things. They set their mind on earthly things. Now look at verse 20. There's such a switch. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't belong here. Don't put down deep roots. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are foreigners. We are aliens. That's the terminology that the Bible uses. Don't make a place that's going to end in destruction your home. It's probably not wise to build where the whole land is sloping and going to fall into the river. You can probably get the land really cheap, but probably not a wise place to build there. God says, look, you don't belong here. This isn't your home. As I thought about this this week, I thought, Lord, this is our problem. We so often get lost in a place that we're never going to stay at. It consumes us. Houses and jobs and cars and finances and all these things that consume us. And believe me, I understand we got to pay bills. I pay them just like you do. And, you know, we have things going on and, and you're trying to make ends meet. I'm, I'm not talking about the reality of, of paying bills. But I am talking about how it grips your heart at times. How when you become honest with yourself and you say, Lord, I'm captured by things that have no eternal value. You're not here. This is is not where you belong. Look at verse 21. If you're not excited about this verse, I'm going to have to come slap you. (laughs) Who, that's Jesus, the Savior, who will transform the body of your humble estate into conformity with his body of his glory. Not even with his earthly body, with his glorified body, he's going to transform you. There's a diet program to start the year off. Lord, I'm not keeping this thing. I'm going to be with you. We work so hard. I read an article, how many billions of dollars are spent within January to get yourself in shape. Now, I realize there's, I got to do some of that stuff. 
but there is a certain understanding not even this thing is going on. You don't belong here. So I, I, I think, brothers and sisters, I've looked through this, just the first part of this verse is the only way I'm gonna conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel is number one, believe the gospel and believe that Jesus is enough for me. And, and that means I gotta worship him and exalt him and, and read. Jeff was honest, read. Know your savior. See him as glorious. Some of you may not see Jesus as glorious. You see him as a trick or a, a plan that you have to get out of hell. That's not going to work. I promise that is not going to work. Ask God to help you see Jesus as glorious. You'll sing different. You'll read the Bible different. You'll quit reading it, trying to find one little verse to, to, if I just do this, everything will be good that day. You'll start to see Christ and you'll see his glory of God as you read through the scriptures, Old and New Testament. And, and then, Lord, I have things in my life that are not honoring to you. The Bible says that the Spirit will help me kill them, Lord. I'm asking for the Spirit to help me kill these things. And Lord, don't let me get roots here. I don't belong here. I want to go home and be with you someday. And I don't want to be tethered to things that are going to end in destruction. Help us, Lord. Well, this is a great verse, and I, I thought maybe I'd get through the very first verse, but our time is short today, and I want to get into communion. But let me read the verse again, and then we'll pray. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Boy, I almost want to write that verse right here. It's right here. And every time we look up, we see it. Striving together. Oh, we'll get into this next week. Father, thank you for an opportunity to be in your word. Lord, we didn't get very far, but it is so rich. Lord, it's, it's personal. You didn't save us, Lord, just to come get us at the end no matter what we're doing or where we're at. You saved us to walk in a, a way that's godly, that reflects you, Lord. And Father, I, I think all my brothers and sisters here would confess, Lord, when we get honest, we can see that our priorities sometimes are they're just out of whack, Lord. We care more about playing than following you. We care more about things that are just going to burn, Lord. They're just, they're not of eternal value. We get lost and frustrated with relationships. And we just fail to walk with you in a way that brings you glory. So Lord, you are a God of new beginnings. Jeremiah said in the most difficult times of persecution, he said, your ways are fresh and new every morning. And so, Lord, we sang this morning already that your grace, Lord, is what drives us. And so I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would seize the day and we would say, Lord, it's a new day. I want to live for you. I want to go to work different. 
I want to think about you. I, want to, I don't want to hold on to things that are going to burn someday. Help me stay on the right track, doing the right thing for your glory, Lord. Father, I pray for those that may be here, Lord, and they're overwhelmed with their situation. Whether it's marriage or jobs or finances or children or whatever it may be, Lord. Father, I pray this morning they would cling to you. They would see your son as sufficient for all things in life and godliness. They would ask the spirit of God to help them have victory over sinful things that rob them of following you. Lord, you promised that the spirit can kill those things. So I pray that they would allow the spirit, the freedom within their lives to overcome sin. And Lord, I pray that it would help those that may be struggling with getting lost in a world that is full of destruction. That maybe there are those in this room that have clung on to things, white-knuckled things that are worthless. And I pray, Lord, that we would cling to you and remember we are citizens of heaven. Lord, keep us focused. Help us in our priorities. Oh, we know you'll give us joy even in suffering. We'll have joy because we get to walk with you. We get to have conduct that brings glory to you, Lord. So Lord, bless our time in communion as we remember your son and all that he accomplished so we could stand here and preach and say the things we've said this morning. We're free in Christ. So bless this next part of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.